the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. 62 CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Do you know the principles of divine scripture well enough to use them against Satan. See, it's not enough to just read our Bibles. We have to know the specific truths of scripture. And I'll tell you, one reason why Christians are so often defeated is that they just don't know how to use the sword of the Spirit. And you can be sure that if you are ignorant in an area of scripture, that's where Satan will start hitting you. When Satan tempts, and he often does, we must be able to say, here's what Scripture says. Here's what Scripture says. We welcome you to another broadcast of Verse by Verse. Our teacher is Pastor Steve Kreloff, pastor of the Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Have you ever been to one of those living museums where people are dressed up in era-specific costumes and they replicate the style of life of some period in history? Often, there are artisans in the marketplace who ply their trades in the same manner as their counterparts would have done in that bygone era. Whenever I visit such a place, I always find myself drawn to the carpenter shop. I could watch the work for hours. Long before the days of power tools and fancy gadgets, skillful men like these were able to build beautiful things that have endured for centuries. I am always fascinated by the things they do to solve woodworking problems. But what impresses me the most is their knowledge of their tools. They know that each tool on their workbench has a specific function, and they don't try to force anything using the wrong tool. It may be that some tools are used only once or twice in the entire process of building, oh, say, a chair. Yet when it comes time to use that tool, nothing else will do the job as well. As Pastor Steve pointed out in our last broadcast, Christians need to have that same kind of skill with the Word of God. God's Word is compared to a short, stabbing sword, rather than a broad, slashing sword. That is to say, the Bible is less like a power saw and more like a sharp, precise chisel. Let's join Pastor Steve in Ephesians chapter 6 as he continues to tell us how to be prepared for attack. So, now we look at the sixth piece of equipment and this is just tremendous notice verse 17 the end of verse 17 says and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god this is where we left off last week so far every piece of armor we have studied has one common denominator they're all defensive weapons but this is an offensive weapon this is something you thrust this is the sword of the spirit now, a sword can be used defensively, but primarily it's an offensive weapon. And, and that's what, what Paul means here, because you must understand a little bit about the background of this and how uh, the Roman soldiers use these swords. Otherwise, you really not understand what, what, he's, what he's teaching here. You, you have to think a little bit. 
it, I'd encourage you to write notes and uh, file it away. This will help you. There were basically two types of swords that soldiers used. You had a large, broad sword. In the Old Testament, it speaks of Goliath having one of these swords, a large, broad sword. And those, those were just big and, and kind of hard to handle. They just sweep it around, and you hoped if you were battling it, you didn't get in the way. It was just un, un, really unwieldy in battle, not, not easy to use. But the other type of sword that Scripture speaks of was the short sword or a large knife that uh, revolutionized hand-to-hand combat in the ancient world. And it was the, the usual weapon of the Roman soldier in Paul's day. That's the word that, uh, that's used in Ephesians 6-7 for the sword of the Spirit. It's also used in the parallel passage in Hebrews 4-12 concerning the Word of God sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, why is it important that uh, we understand the distinction between the, the kind of sword that was used in that day and the kind of sword that Paul was referring to? Because the sword that the Spirit provides is for precision type of fighting. It isn't uh, something that you, you just handle in a sort of wild fashion and, and hope that it hits your opponent. It's a precise weapon designed to be handled carefully and effectively. And it's so important for us to understand this, that that Paul uh, takes the time to explain what the sword of the Spirit is. This is the only piece of armor that Paul takes time to explain in Ephesians 6. And he explains it as he says, the Word of God. Now, this is very important. The Greek language has uh, has two terms for word. The most common term is the word, and it's a famous word, lagos, which basically refers to a broad, a broad or a general uh, word. The Bible, in its totality, could be called the lagos of God or the Word of God. In other words, it's the sum of God's utterances. But the lagos is not the term that Paul used in Ephesians 6. The term that he used there is the Greek word rhema, which usually refers to specific statements or specific utterances. In other words, the sword of the Spirit doesn't refer to the whole Bible as such, but to particular, the particular individual scripture which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in in time of need. Just as a Roman soldier had a sword to do precision work, so our sword is for precision work too. It's to be used in a precise manner rather than just flailing that that uh, and swinging that sword around indiscriminately. Now, it's important that we have a, a broad knowledge of the totality of Scripture so that we can pull out the specific principles and truths when we need them to combat Satan. You see, we know, need to know the specific truths and principles of Scripture to deal with the specific temptations that Satan throws our way. So if you're tempted in the area, for example, of morality and moral purity, you don't quote John 3.16. That, that's really uh, irrelevant at that point. See, the Bible is not a, a book of magic. You don't just throw out a verse. You have to go to the specific passage of Scripture dealing with the specific problem. So how does this work? Well, the best illustration of using the sword of the Spirit properly is found in Matthew chapter 4, when the Lord Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, and here's what we read in Matthew 4.1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, Jesus obviously knew all of the Bible, but he, he didn't swing 
his sword around indiscriminately. He used it in a precise way, dealing with exactly the temptation that Satan threw at him. Every time Jesus responded to Satan, he quoted from the same Old Testament book. Which one was that? It was the book of Deuteronomy. Now, why was it that uh, that Jesus used Deuteronomy? It wasn't by accident, but rather by divine design and and by the Lord's own purpose in all this. Now, why Deuteronomy? Because the book of Deuteronomy, now note this, it was given to Israel to control their daily walk. As they were on the verge of entering the land of, of Canaan, Deuteronomy told them, told the Jewish people, how to live daily. When Satan came to divert the Lord Jesus from the path of perfect obedience to the will of God, he quoted from this book. He quoted from the very Old Testament book that governed the walk of God's, uh, of the child of God. He used his sword wisely to deal with his adversary. And Jesus didn't quote from a book like Leviticus, for example, that's about worship. But he did quote from Deuteronomy because Deuteronomy was appropriate for the situation. As you go through Matthew chapter 4, you realize that that when Jesus quoted scripture, it was to deal with a specific temptation. Let me show you what I mean. It says in verse 2, then after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, the thought there is, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But notice, notice how Jesus responded. He once again, he, or, or he actually begins at this point with, a Deut- with Deuteronomy. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 8.3 when he says, But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But Satan, we're told, came right back and he used scripture. Verses 5 and 6, And the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Uh, Here, Satan is actually quoting from Psalm 91. So take note of that. This is one of the, the devil's favorite tactics. He quotes scripture to us, but he often twists it, by either, well, in fact, not often, he always twists it by either taking it out of context or omitting an important phrase, something of that nature. But Jesus, notice this, Jesus did not argue with Satan. He didn't uh, give him a mini course on how to interpret this, the Bible. He just responded to the temptation with, uh, with once again, Deuteronomy, when, went now to Deuteronomy 6.16, and, uh, and, and he said, in verse 7, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And we, we read once again, another temptation. Verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the glory of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I'll give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came, began to minister to him. But notice in in verse 10, Jesus once again referred to Deuteronomy. Now this is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. Now what's so important about this passage of scripture is that it illustrates how Christ resisted the devil and his temptations to sin. He didn't use his divine power. He didn't uh, debate him. He didn't argue with him. He just used the sword that the Spirit provided. 
the appropriate scriptures for the appropriate temptation. Did it work? Well, as we read in verse 11, sure. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now, why did the devil leave? Because Satan is vulnerable to the word of God. That's why. He can't stand against scripture in spite of the fact that he hates it. He just can't stand. He can't stand it, and he can't stand against it. When Satan saw the Lord draw his sword, he, he immediately dropped each temptation and moved on to another until finally just abandoned the attack and left, the Bible says. Now, he left for a season. He would be back, but he left for a season. The Lord could resist the devil because he knew the word of God, and he knew how to use it. The question is, do you? Do you know the principles of divine scripture well enough to use them against Satan? See, it's not enough to just read our Bibles. We have to know the specific truths of Scripture. And I'll tell you, one reason why Christians are so often defeated is that they just don't know how to use the sword of the Spirit. And you can be sure that if you are ignorant in an area of Scripture, that's where Satan will start hitting you. When Satan tempts, we must, and tempts us, and he often does, we must be able to say, Here's what Scripture says. Here's what Scripture says. Uh, what about, for example, issues like like pride? Well, we have to know what the Bible says to to die to our flesh. We need to understand about pride. Uh, Galatians, for example, Galatians chapter six addresses this. Galatians chapter six, verse fourteen says this. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the, to the world. Paul understood, and, and he understood how to deal with pride. We have to say with him that I'm not going to boast. Why would I boast in anything but the cross of Christ? What about the temptation to lie? We're all tempted to exaggerate, tempted to stretch the truth. Well, Ephesians 4 verse 25 tells us that we must speak truth to one another. We must put off the old man and speak truth to one another and not not be involved in any kind of falsehood. What about the temptation to lust? The temptation about moral purity and those kind of, of, of issues. Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 3 ought to come to our mind, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. I can recall a time where I struggled in my life with uh, with confusion, and I recall the scripture at that time that was so helpful that God is not the author of confusion. And I don't think it means by this principle that you have to have a list of appropriate verses for all kinds of situations listed at the front of your Bibles. No, it just means that that it needs to be a part of your life. You need to saturate yourself with Scripture. You need to understand Scripture so that even when you aren't carrying your Bible with you, you understand, like the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. In fact, um, the Throughout Psalm 119, there's continual reference to delighting in the Word and treasuring the Word. Uh, scripture speaks of, of this. The, Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. For example, Psalm 119, and we read in verse 103. Let's look at that. Psalm 119, verse 103 
says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. That ought to be our attitude. How about Psalm 119, verses 147 and 148, which say, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I wait for your words. My eyes anticipate the night watches that I may meditate on your word. And Psalm 119, 114 says, You are my hiding place and my shield. I wait for your word. So here's, as someone said this, here's a saint who would rather have God's word than food, sleep, or money. That ought to be our attitude. Such a thirst for the word of God. When we have this kind of approach to God's word, then we will be better prepared to use it against the devil. The late H.B. Barker was a master of illustration. He described three things he saw in a garden among the plants and flowers. I quote, he said, first I saw a butterfly. It was beautiful. It would alight on a flower, sit for a second or two, then flutter to, uh, to another, sit for a second or two, then flutter on to another, and so on. It would touch as many lovely blossoms as it could, but derived absolutely no benefit from them. Then I watched a little longer out of my window, and there came a botanist with a big notebook under his arm and a magnifying glass. He would lean over a certain flower and look for a long time and then write notes in his notebook. After writing notes for hours, he closed his notebook, stuck it under his arm, tucked his magnifying glass in his pocket, and walked away. The third thing I noticed was a little bee. The bee would light on a flower and sink down deep into it, extracting all the pollen that it could carry. It always went in empty and came out full. Then H.P. Uh, Parker said this, So it is with people who approach the Bible. Now listen, he said, There are spiritual butterflies who flutter from lovely sermon to lovely sermon, from class to class, fluttering here, fluttering there, bringing nothing and gaining nothing but a nice feeling. Then there are spiritual botanists who take copious notes but don't have the capacity to draw anything out of the flowers. It's pure academics. Then there are the spiritual bees who draw out every precious flower, all that is there, draw out of every precious flower, all that is there to make the honey that makes them so blessed to those around them. So the question is, are, are you a spiritual butterfly just floating around from church to church, sermon to sermon? just appreciating it, but it doesn't do anything for you? Or are you a uh, spiritual botanist? You get all information, but no application, or very little application. You know the Bible. You can even quote the Bible, but it doesn't really apply to life situations in, in your life. Or are you a spiritual bee? And that's what we should be, hearing the word and uh, doing the word and applying the word to our lives, drawing out all that is in the word and having it not so much that we're in the Word, but that the Word is in us. That's how we're to live. So God has provided for every believer here all the resources you need to be protected from the enemy. You just need to make sure that when you get up in the morning, you get dressed, not only physically, but spiritually. You put on all the armor, and you make sure you've got your sword on. Now, that's the first principle. I said there were three. The first principle about protection from the enemy is be prepared. Be prepared. Be ready. And God has told you how to get ready. Secondly, the second principle about protection from uh, our enemy is not only be prepared, but be together. Be together with other believers. To go back to Nehemiah chapter 4. 
I want to read to you verses 19 and 20. Remember, the first thing is they were ready for attack. Second thing now, Nehemiah said, I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. Great, great portion. Great scriptures. Having prepared for for the attack, they were ready. Nehemiah now informed the people what to do in the event that there was an actual attack. We're ready for it. What do we do if it happens? Okay. And the strategy was this, that if they heard, when they heard the trumpet sound, and in verse 18 it says the trumpeter went with Nehemiah. You know, he was like a, a head football coach. You ever watch the head football coaches? There's always someone standing right near them carrying all the equipment so they can talk into this. That's kind of this, this way. There was the trumpeter who followed Nehemiah wherever he went. And if there was an attack, the trumpeter was to blow the horn and the people would rally to that spot. And that was the strategy. Now, the reason for this strategy, it's rather obvious. Nehemiah didn't want anyone fighting alone. He said, we're spread out. It was about a two and a half mile radius around. Then he said, we're spread out on the wall and uh, you're going to lose if you fight alone. So gather together and we'll fight together. We'll be stronger that way. And the principle still holds today. This isn't that hard to grasp. The principle is this. Don't fight alone. Be with someone else. God never intended for you or me to face spiritual warfare alone. Some people go through difficult times, and I don't know why, but they want to keep it real private. You got to share that with God's people. Maybe not everybody, but share it with some so that that we can pray, so that we can encourage, so that we can stand with you, so that we can say, you know, I went through something like this, and this is how God comforted me. We need one another. Uh, That's why the church uh, is called the body of Christ. Your body is together. Your body, unless something is wrong with your body, functions together. You can't have your your hand doing something like this and go pull it back. Something's wrong with your body to do that. A body functions uh, with unity, mutual support, encouragement. Everything just kind of clicks together. In Ephesians chapter 4. You don't need to turn there, I'll just read it to you. But uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, Paul speaks about that. He says that with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, this is how we're to treat one another, be diligent to preserve what? The unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We are unified. Let's not blow it. That's what he's saying. Do it in the bond of peace. Treat one another like that. Build one another up. We're, we're a body. The church is also a family. You're not just the body of Christ, but you're a family. And families stick together. And families are there for one another. You see, one of the great dangers that we face as a local church, and and every church that has a sizable number of of people, is that uh, you can become very impersonal. You can become spectators. You can become people who just show up on Sundays for about an hour and a half and never connect with one another during the week. That's not the New Testament church. I don't know what that is, but that's not the New Testament church. The New Testament church is mutual encouragement, holding one another accountable, loving one another, meeting one another's needs. It isn't just show up for a sermon, do some singing, put some money in the offering, and then go home. I'll see you next Sunday. That's not it. That's not the way the early church was. That's not the way a family operates. 
That's not the way the body of Christ is to operate. You have been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff. We thank you for joining us today. Verse by Verse is a radio ministry that is committed to declaring the whole counsel of God. Pastor Steve has been the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida since 1981. His ministry has always focused on uncovering the eternal principles that undergird each passage of Scripture. This approach has helped many people to better understand and apply God's Word. If you would like to learn more about the verse-by-verse ministry, or perhaps about some specific part of Pastor Steve's message, we invite you to call us at 727-239-0306. We will be glad to answer your questions. You can also contact us by email. Simply simply address your email to contact at versebyverseradio.org. Verse by Verse depends upon the generous support of its listeners in order to continue to strengthen the body of Christ with good biblical instruction. So if you have been blessed by this program, we encourage you to prayerfully consider partnering together with us in this work through a financial gift. And even if you are not able to give at this time, please write us or call us and tell us how the program has been a help to you. Your feedback will encourage all of our praying and giving partners. On our next broadcast, Pastor Steve will be concluding this study of the... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.